Good evening, and welcome to NCLCA Today, a podcast dedicated to educating individuals, assisting college and university students along the road to academic success. I'm your host, Patricia Hartley, and I am the coordinator of academic support services for the University of Central Florida. I've been in higher education for over 10 years, and I have a BA degree in theater and speech communication from Texas A&M University Commerce, and a master's in higher education from the University of West Florida. I'm Kelsey Fischel. I am currently the Writing Lab Coordinator for Florida Gulf Coast University. I have my master's in English from FGCU and I have three and a half years of experience as a learning center professional. Last fall, I presented for the first time at NCLCA Louisville on workforce readiness for student employees and my center's experience merging multiple departments into one unified learning center. Today we sit with guest and NCLCA president, Dr. Jeffrey Bailey from the University of Louisville. Great, thanks for letting me join you. (laughs) Well, thank you for joining. And to conclude our show, we'll check in with one of our affiliates and let you know what's happening in Texas. The Great State. This episode of NCLCA Today is being sponsored by NCLCA, an organization of professionals dedicated to promoting excellence among learning centers personnel. Visit nclca.org for more information about how you can get involved and to participate in our webcast. It's time for our interview. To begin our show, we're sitting down with Dr. Jeffrey Bailey, the current president of the National College Learning Center Association and the executive director of the University of Louisville's Resources for Academic Achievement. Jeff has a PhD in higher education from the University of North Carolina at Greensboro and a master's in counselor education and student development. Jeff, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm wonderful. Thank you so much for hosting this. I'm really excited about us and to kick off our new podcast series for NCLCA. Absolutely. And thank you again for taking the leadership role in order to ensure that everybody in the organization knew about it. And you input us into the, well, you input a question essentially into um, the NCLCA survey after the conference. And it came out that people really did want to see some sort of a podcast. So thank you again for taking the lead on that and for ensuring that it happened. So that's why we wanted you to be our first guest. Now loosen up a little bit. I know this is academic (laughs) support, but we want to get to know who you are. Why don't you tell our audience a little bit about yourself, Jeff, and then how you began your career in higher education. Oh gosh, Uh, now you're dating me. Um, So (laughs) a little bit about me. Um, I am starting my, I can't believe I'm gonna say this, 27th year in higher ed. Um, I've been at the University of Louisville now for uh, starting my seventh year, which kind of blows me away. I can't believe I've been here that long, but it's been a great experience. Um, And as Kelsey said, I serve as the executive director for REACH uh, and oversee all the learning center operations there, fiduciary responsibilities, strategic planning, and all the excitement that generates around uh, academic support and student success. Uh, Apart from that, uh, I'm a huge nerd. I love to learn. I'm always trying to stretch myself, and although you can't see it in the podcast, uh, right now as we're recording this, I'm sitting here on a Zoom call with Star Wars in the background uh, as my background. <laughs> in so I'm, I'm here with my rebel scum today, you know, to, to meet and greet everybody. Well, it, just to let you know, you're in the perfect place for nerds. I feel like when it comes to learning centers, I think when you work in a learning center and you um, are passionate about students learning, you have to commit to being a lifelong learner. So shout out to you for that absolutely i'm in total agreement Uh, and before i jump into our next question i just have to say are you familiar with the um 
the cosplaying group, the 501st Legion? No, I am not. You'll have to educate me. I will. If one of their members works with us, they bring a lot of joy to the Learning Center when you can have a stormtrooper on your team. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so jumping from something as exciting to Star Wars to a little more current events. So we're going to just jump right into everything that's happening with COVID-19. So the COVID-19 pandemic, it's brought a lot of changes to learning centers across the country. What were the first weeks of the transition like for you and your center specifically? Oh, gosh. Um, you know, I think one of the things that enabled us to pivot pretty quickly, and I never thought I would use that term outside of basketball. <laughs> I'm getting to a point where I use it so much, it drives me nuts. But, um, you know, that's exactly what we did. Um, we had experience utilizing um, GoBoard uh, from Tutor Magic Service. And so we were able to shift what we were doing with scheduled tutoring pretty seamlessly, but we found that there were other mechanisms in place that we had to utilize, and fortunately, UofL has a license with Microsoft, and so we were able to navigate and use Teams pretty seamlessly. Mm -hmm. One of our centers, uh, the Learning Resource Center that deals with scheduled tutoring, has been uh, utilizing this effectively for two years plus, and one of our current temp workers has been a graduate student with us as well, and we're looking to create a brand new position for him uh, on our professional staff. He was instrumental in creating a lot of the administrative flows behind the scenes that were uh, really instrumental in making sure that we could pivot, you know, like I said, you know, pretty quickly um, okay. and within days be able to provide a viable platform for not only scheduled tutoring, but also for large group settings, drop-in tutoring, and help ensure that we had training videos ready for our staff, links available for our students, and we could make it as seamless as possible. It wasn't without headache, heartache, uh, a lot of uh, stress, uh, long hours, uh, particularly in the first few weeks. Um, I lost count of the number of hours I worked, let alone <laughs> what my team put in. Uh, but I think those things were going to happen regardless. Um, and it probably would have been worse if we hadn't been positioned the way we were. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I really struggle and, and feel heartache for, you know, colleagues across the country who didn't necessarily have those resources or experience yeah. under the belt. It's got to have been, you know, a, a major source of frustration and contention, let alone challenge, you know, from the stress that probably their upper administration and their student body was looking for in terms of response. What are you going to do to support me? You know, yeah. what's available for me to get me through the next six, eight weeks of the semester. And, you know, as yeah. you all know, at first we were thinking, ah, you know, we were shut down for a couple of weeks. It's like, yes. it's like H1N1. Everybody thought it was a little, little, not going to be that long. Yeah, absolutely. After a long you know, spring break, that's us. fine. <laughs> that's right. None of us thought, you know, this would be the zombie apocalypse that it has become. And, <laughs> you know, I think, um, you know, to give credit where credit's due, I have a phenomenal team. We have spent a lot of time talking with one another, reinforcing each other's efforts, and trying to ensure that, you know, we took a look critically at what was working, what wasn't, and not holding to old paradigms. If we needed to shift, mm. even in the end of the spring semester, we were going to shift. Um, and that became more and more important as we realized that our budget was dwindling pretty quickly and some mechanisms to provide that academic support weren't being utilized fully. And so we had to adjust what we were doing. So if drop-in hours weren't being utilized in particular subjects or timeframes, we eliminated it and went to mm. um, schedule tutoring. And I mean, that's how we got through. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think this really has been a time where even though it's because we were forced to do it, we've had great opportunities to reevaluate 
I know for me and my team, we were like, we could never do what we do online. We wouldn't even know where to start. And like I said, our entire team is now through Microsoft Teams, fully online, as if as if we've always been doing it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, one of the things that I have consistently heard across, you know, Learning Center, uh, the Learning Center community, and that's, you know, I would say both, the, you know, Learn Assist, as well as the... Um, well, they started off as weekly calls, but now monthly calls that NCLCA has been sponsoring with our membership. You know, I've, I've heard phenomenal stories of um, professionals across the country responding in similar fashion, and people have just made it work. Um, and it's a testament to how much, how deeply we care about um, our profession and serving the students. You know, we don't go into this for the money. I mean, everybody knows that. No. We go into <laughs> it because we have a servant leadership heart. We care yeah. immensely about students' success, and we're willing to bend over backwards to make sure that we figure out strategic ways to help reinforce that learning that they need outside of class in support of the curriculum. It's as simple exactly. as that. Exactly. It is. It is that simple. And I, I do agree. I think that I tell my students this all the time. I'm like, y'all inspire me more than I could ever inspire y'all. Like, that really is, you know, what it is. So um, now that y'all have kind of, kind of gotten a few months under your belt um, of transition with the COVID and everything that's been going on. What do you think, and this might be a loaded question, so I'm not sure if you have the answer. What do you think the fall semester setup is actually going to look like for your team? Yeah, that's not a loaded question at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, geez. Uh, to be honest and genuine, I, I don't know. We are planning for the best and preparing for the worst. Um, yeah. Right now, our institution is looking at I say kind of a return to normal. It's not really a return to normal. It's a, um, we're going to give students as close to a normal college experience as we possibly can do. And at the same time, reinforce safety protocols, people's health and prioritize that. Prioritize the health and safety of our staff, our faculty, our advising community. And I think, you know, what that's going to look like, at least for us right now, as of today, it might change next week, but <laughs> as of today, um, what that's going to look like is we're probably going to have a balance um, between online tutoring and continuing that platform, both in terms of meeting the sheer volume of students who need academic support, because we're not going to be able to do it all in person. We have specific restrictions in place about how many people can congregate in any given space or tutoring center on campus. And we have to abide by those, um, not just for people's safety and well-being, but also just for our own sanity and, and, and yeah. emotional health. You know, we want to make sure that we're not overwhelming people coming back. So we're going to keep that online tutoring option available. And I think it's going to be highly utilized. The other thing that we do is provide um, college intervention courses. So college readiness okay. uh, types of courses in reading and mathematics. And we've been doing this for years. And um, it's been a phenomenal piece to help level the playing field. In fact, you know, independent of you know, this call, one of the coolest things that we've done in assessment in the last couple of years has been analyzing the impact we've had on student success for underrepresented minority populations and for students who come in who are identified as not being college ready. We have closed the achievement gap between African-American students and white students in mathematics through those classes. And those are the kinds of things that we're gonna look to continue to do. And we were able to do through the spring successfully by moving to that online format. And I think those are going to be the areas that we look to continue to reinforce to ensure that we have good training for not only our instructors, but also the tutors who are there present in the class to help support what's going on curricularly. You know, we want to make sure that we're responding and 
uh, addressing people's needs. Um, it's going to be, you know, I think a learning curve as we continue to go kind of full blast, full steam into, mm -hmm. you know, the fall semester. And like I said before, you know, we'll continue to evaluate what's going on. And if we need to shift or make adjustments, we will. Um, we're, you know, as one good example of that, we're not even meeting um, the entire class face to face. Our space isn't large enough. So we're going to mm -hmm. have a high flex model where okay. students are going to come one day each week. So half the class will come on Monday or Tuesday. Oh. The other half mm -hmm. will come on Wednesday or Thursday, depending on the schedule and the cycle. Okay. Nice. You have a, you have a nice plan, I feel like, put into place. And then you have, we have, of course, the reverting back to online, of course, if we all need to. But the goal, I think, as you said, Jeff, is to provide them, these students, as close as possible to a college experience with everything that's going on. And I think that that's the least that we can, that's the best, excuse me, that we can possibly do during this time. Absolutely. You know, and I think, you know, the other piece that's kind of become our reality that none of us, uh, unless we had backgrounds in medicine or, you know, infectious diseases and epidemiology, mm -hmm. you know, is, is handling things like PPE for the first time. And, you know, who's wearing masks and do we have yes. plexiglass shields? I just installed yes. plexiglass shields in our centers the other day. Yes. Yes. No idea what like, I was doing, but you know, we're making it work. We're distributing, you know, masks to our professional mm -hmm. staff. We have disposable ones in case students come without theirs. We yeah. have um, just um, put down uh, keyboard covers. Uh, we've got two different types. They're going to help protect uh, the keyboards as they're high tactile, high touch surfaces um, is a way to help, you know, kind of protect the equipment will come through and set up cleaning protocols on a daily basis for those. And it's part of our new reality that I don't think yeah. any of us would have expected. Yeah, there's a lot of cleaning processes that have to kind of come into play when it comes to the learning center too. You know, having to, after each session, say for example, if you have those schedule sessions, um, actually cleaning up after or even after your staff, maybe they're in the center and they're conducting all the services there and they're still doing them online, you still have to clean up after all of those students. So. I do understand it's going to be a new normal, you know, but it is as close to, I think it's just the best that we can do during this time. Absolutely. And I think it's unlike any other environment that, you know, you're going to face. I mean, it's one thing when you're talking about classes physically on campus, even if you've got reduced uh, attendance, you know, enrollments coming in, um, you know, you've got a cycle, you know, that's coming through for a particular class. With our situation, you know, you've not only got that, but you've got people who are coming in you know, multiple times, uh, you know, per day. Um, you've got mm -hmm. people who are dealing with emotional um, concerns and baggage that either surround this, you know, particular point in time or just yeah. things that they're dealing with emotionally as they transition to college. Um, yeah. And, you know, many of our, uh, our staff serve as basically counselors and helping guide yeah. them, you know, through this transition to college and through college. And so they play multiple roles here that you're not necessarily going to see in the same context across campus. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think you're right. Like our centers are in such an interesting middle space where students who are coming in transition through us, students who are trying to make that transition, who have been on campus and now have to be remote, they're coming through us. And it can be a lot for your staff, your student staff to be in that kind of pivotal role. So something I was wondering, how are you staying connected with your staff as they work through this transition, as they take on these kind of new areas of support? And not just that, but how are you boosting staff morale and making sure that they are able to stay afloat and continue supporting these students? Yeah, great questions. Uh, you know, I think one of the most important things that we have 
and I wouldn't say discovered, but maybe been reinforced or reminded of through this crisis, is that we need to care for one another as human beings, uh, respect Ooh. their dignity, and just spend time with each other, even if it's not about how's work going, how's this project going, how yeah. are the tutoring situations going, yeah. how are you doing as a mom, as a parent, dealing yeah. with a, as a caregiver for elderly parents. Mm -hmm. um, how are your dogs doing, you know, and what's going on? Oh, we've got a kid running around in the background and they're throwing Fruit Loops. <laughs> no, no yeah. worries. Yeah. You know, just understanding what they're, you know, going through, being with them in that moment. And it's, it's weird because the context is not, you know, in person as much, you know, it's, it's through these video calls. And so we've spent a lot of time on teams doing that um, mm -hmm. or just calling one another on the phone. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and I think that's become even more important. Uh, particularly as campuses, even ours, have gone through furlough periods and we've had to furlough staff. And that oh, wow. is heart-wrenching. Yeah. There was nothing harder that I've done in my career that ate me up emotionally than having to tell somebody, even if they understood the reason why, that I had to furlough them. It sucked. There's no two ways yeah. about it. Yeah. And, you know, I think, you know, to the extent that we can, we try to be as transparent as possible, too. Mm -hmm. I think that's the biggest gift I can give to my staff. When I've got knowledge, I share it with them. Uh, yeah. If I don't know, I'm going to try to find out and be authentic yeah. and genuine about that. Um, you know, I think Colin Powell said it well. Tell your team what you know. Mm -hmm. Tell them what you don't know. Tell them what you think. Those three things have served me well in my career. Um, and I try to, you know, go back to that kind of as a core. Anytime I, I find myself like wondering, how are we going to get through this? Those yeah. are the things that keep me grounded and rooted in my reality and in the present time period. I'm so sorry if you hear somebody in the background that is um, doing some lawn service hearing, but I, I completely agree with you. We had a, mm -hmm. a term where it was, you know, it was tutors and, and, you know, it was upcoming budget year and we had some budget cuts. And so we had to end up like, you know, letting some individuals, some individual subjects go, which also meant potentially letting some tutors go. And it is so hard to tell people, you know, that something is beyond your control, you know, and it is a hard job to do to share that with them. Um, but I do think it is important to be transparent. And I love what you said about Colin Powell and, you know, just kind of like telling your team, basically sharing your team and being transparent with them about what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that in some ways is the only thing that we can do, um, especially mm -hmm. when there are areas of our jobs that we just don't control, you know, because those decisions might be made at a higher level, you know, and yeah. I think we have to temper that reality with the fact that we are compassionate, we're caring, and we need to demonstrate that and tell people exactly where we're at, you know, and be, you know, genuine and say, you know, I think this sucks. You know, it, it's not the way I want to do it. It's not the way yeah. you know, I envisioned this year going or whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. Just being real with people, uh, you know, helps at least, you know, convey the, you know, the sense that, you know, you're deeply caring about what's going on and it goes beyond just the scope of them being in a job. A job. Yeah. It's about their, them as a person. Right. So speaking of that, how do you think learning centers are uniquely able to serve students during this pandemic and then what can we learn? You've already said a little bit, but what else can we learn from this pandemic? Yeah, no, I think that's a great question. You know, and to kind of reinforce what Kelsey's already said too, you know, we play this kind of unique role in higher education. We're a bridge between academic affairs and student affairs. Yes. And so we oftentimes find ourselves performing duties and roles that, 
mirror both worlds and mm -hmm. we are able to walk in both worlds unlike you know other settings um you know we tend to break down silos more you know we are partners with mm -hmm. faculty we, we rely yeah. on faculty you know both for you know making sure that we hire qualified staff who've done well academically in their courses or discipline mm -hmm. you know as much as it is about making sure that we're frontline staff in hearing what's going on how are they impacted by this crisis how are they impacted by the potential of homelessness or food insecurity? Um, mm. If they're coming to terms with, you know, gender identity or sexuality, and those things manifest oftentimes in unexpected and unanticipated ways, you know, in tutoring sessions or in classes, and our ability to remain calm under fire and help put them in touch with resources, be compassionate even if we don't have all the answers, but getting them connected with a network within our own communities uh, or in the broader community outside of our college or institution. Those are all critical roles that we play as learning center professionals. And, you know, and I think to the second part of your question, when we're looking at what can learning centers continue to do, mm -hmm. I think it's you know, examining things with a critical eye and not taking, kind of pulling our egos out of the equation, if you will. Uh, and by that, I mean, you know, when we take a look at certain things, you know, that aren't going as well, you know, for our centers, no matter what that is, it might be marketing, it might be our website, it might be the way in which we've conducted certain types of training sessions, you know, throw it all out there and say, okay, what could we do differently? Anything is on, on the board right now, you know, in terms of our discussion, how do we, you know, conceive of doing it differently? And not eliminate things right off the bat, but willing, you know, to kind of brainstorm and have those genuine, honest, heartfelt conversations about the types of things that we could do to respond differently. And then you can delve into, if you will, you know, the, you know, the, the how to is the logistics of it and whether or not certain strategies make more sense, are cost mm -hmm. effective, uh, are backed up by data, things like that. Uh, mm -hmm. We did something that no learning center that I've ever seen or would advocate for should ever do. We changed our website the day after spring break to coincide with, you know, when people were going online completely. And I'm like, oh, God, what the hell did I just do? But, <laughs> you know, I think I think uh, <laughs> we had already been working on this website redesign. We were planning it for a launch in May and our new reality kicked in. We thought, OK. We need to clean up what we're doing in order to ensure that students find information seamlessly. We need to give one link for tutoring, not mention the acronyms and the language that we use in higher education. We want to boil it down for what makes sense to a student in a student's eyes. How can we make this information accessible and seamless? Um, how can we incorporate this new design that doesn't involve a lot of coding that takes significant uh, amounts of time and infuse new types of things that uh, enable uh, our um, uh, diverse community to be able to utilize effectively. So we have um, a tool on our website now that's built into the platform that allows a student to, uh, who may have accessibility issues to click on to enlarge the text automatically. They don't have Yay. to have a screen reader. Um, you know, it allows it to read out loud to you. It's phenomenal. I was so excited when uh, one of our, you know, techie people, you know, was able to come up with that and come up with a creative solution that worked universally for our department. And it's received a lot of great uh, feedback and attention from our community. So shout out to Mark Woolwine for doing that. Uh, also an NCLC member. You know, I think those are the kinds of things that we have to take a heartfelt look at, you know, what's working, what's not working. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think the other thing is, you know, making your choices strategically in terms of where you spend your time. 
Yeah. Um, and that's the tough part for any of us because we want to have our hands in everything. Everything, and don't we? <laughs> that's not always practical or reality, you know. And mm-hmm. um, where I can, you know, I take some of those things off the plate of my team and I deal with them myself or enlist the assistants. We don't have to be the experts in everything. Agree. Um, so not I, now, especially not now, nowadays. Exactly. You know, I enlist the expertise of colleagues within our division. Um, you know, a good example of this, we had had a goal of creating um, a new assessment platform that would allow us to uh, analyze longitudinal data. We want to see how are our students doing across semesters, across years, mm. when you're looking at particular types of classes, when you're taking into consideration ethnicity, gender, uh, whether somebody is a Pell Grant recipient. And how are we impacting those students who use our services versus the ones from, you know, those backgrounds who don't use our services? Mm -hmm. We need to be Mm -hmm. able to know that and be prepared for if the data is not very flattering for us, what are we going to do to pivot or change that? To fix it, yes. Right. Yes. And we we were able to get that launched and it was just finalized in the last couple uh, of weeks and we're really excited about it. And it opens up so many new doors for us, you know, one of which is being Mm -hmm. able to put data directly into department chairs or dean's hands and say, hey, take a look at participants, you know, and and the non-participants in your school. Here's how they're performing when they use our services. And there's no judgment to it. It's just here, do with it what you will. I am helping inform you uh, as a fellow colleague and a community member of the power that, you know, our services can offer. Retention, directly. (laughs) Use that as, as you see fit. Yeah, and then add us into some of those grants because you know we're over here succeeding, so we need an additional center because we're going to continue to expand. I'm just kind of putting that into your future, Jeff. I'm putting that into your future. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) That is really good. So, you know, jumping off of, you're talking about leaning on others, reaching out for um, support, seeing if there are other people who can take on some of that work or help you find new ways to approach it. I know for my center, especially last year, I have really leveraged my student leaders. Yeah. They, and, and they go so above and beyond and even in this transition have blown my mind with how much they have been able to step up and support. And so I wanted to know how your student staff is handling the transition and are there some new challenges that you're facing in supervision or training or other aspects of what you do now that your team is having to work online and remote? Yeah, great question. Again, uh, you know, I think one of the things that immediately comes to mind in terms of answering that is that um, our students have shown more resilience than I could have ever hoped for. It doesn't mean it's been perfect, but, you know, I think they, they've got a lot of tenacity that if I had been their age when this had all <laughs> broken out, I don't know that I would have been as calm and collected as they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, th- I think first and foremost, they deserve a lot of credit for that. Um, you know, I, a couple of quick examples of how they've helped. You know, the other night I was on a call for admissions, a Facebook Live call with uh, the parents of incoming students. You know, normally I'm the one who meets with those parents and reassures them about the services and the attention their, their kids are going to have coming into the university. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we can't do that nowadays. <laughs> we had to do it electronically and remotely. And so we brought two of our tutors on who have not only been employees for us, but they've also used our services. And so they can talk about what the experience is like from both perspectives. And rather than try to crowd them out, I wanted them to be in the spotlight. You know, here's how you're going to, you know, have an opportunity to make a difference in reassuring, you know, our community members, because it's not just the students who are stakeholders and community members, it's the parents, it's the family members, particularly when you're talking about the African-American community, the Latino community, where it's not just 
the student coming to campus. The whole family yeah. is coming to campus. <laughs> yeah. And we want to reinforce yeah. that. We're here to support that transition in any way that we possibly can. And if we're not the right solution for whatever issue they're dealing with, then we're going to put them in touch. And we're going to have that caring hand that puts them in touch with other resources at the university. Um, and so, I think the whole parent touching, touching on the parent thing again, I think that it's even more important now because many students are now living either back at home. They're not always um, going back to their apartments, especially with the transition of what's going to be going on in the fall and just kind of how long this has gone on since March. And so some students really need that family support because now they're at home with the family that's around them that needs to respect the space so they can get everything done. So I love the fact that you're keeping that in mind, the importance of the family, you know, and your students as well. Absolutely. You know, and I think it is especially because, you know, we're also dealing with this additional pandemic. It's not just COVID-19. We're dealing with a renewed emphasis on social justice that we haven't seen the likes of since the 1960s. Yeah. And now people are saying it's not just about the messaging that you give. That's important. But we want to see tangible change occur, you know, in institutions, in yeah. society. And thinking about, you know, what we do as higher education professionals and learning center experts, you know, what does that mean in terms of changing our own dynamics, changing yeah. policies, or making sure that we're recruiting diverse populations and sending the message out that this is an inclusive place, that we do care, and it's represented in our student body and the people who mm -hmm. we employ. Thank you, Jeff. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you the next question, but I already know you do it because your um, department or your division actually teaches as well. So that's a part of some of your responsibilities. So I was gonna ask you about, um, you know, we know that you're the executive director of Reach, but is there anything else that you do to engage with campus? And now I'm gonna ask outside of just teaching and being a part of your learning center. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. So I do serve as an adjunct faculty member in the College of Ed, um, and I've taught classes um, both within the College Student Personnel Program and our Higher Education Administration Program. Uh, and that's been a lot of fun because, um, you know, I, I get to wear a different hat and, yeah. help, you know, emerging professionals who want to work in this field, even if it's not in learning centers, but just collectively in higher education, help mm -hmm. them learn some of the nuances and things that are going to be important in terms of their future career paths. Um, so that's one way, you know, I'm involved. Um, I also serve on a number of different committees. Um, I am uh, what's called the College Readiness Lead for University of Louisville. So I interact with um, the folks uh, in the Council for Post-Secondary Education at the state level, uh, who liaise directly with the governor and the state legislature. Uh, and I deal, you know, pretty, pretty closely with what it means to be college ready, um, how do we know this, uh, and what does it mean in terms of the services that we provide to help students who are identified by standardized tests or other measures as not being college ready. Uh, so I'm involved directly with that. Um, I am also on uh, a number of different task forces and things like that that take a look at data and analytics uh, to understand undergraduate progression and retention, uh, making sure that we're doing what we can institutionally, not just in a learning center, but you know, widespread across the community to help students navigate, you know, the bureaucracy, navigate, you know, academic hurdles that they're encountering, and make sure they're staying on that pathway to student success and graduation, um, and helping them understand that, you know, the value that they're getting from that. Yeah. Um, you know, so those are a couple of quick ways that I'm involved. Uh, I'm probably, I forget my CV, but I'm probably forgetting a, a handful of things there. <laughs> I, I got a quick personal question for you real fast, because you got your undergraduate degree in sports exercise science, was it? 
Yeah, sports medicine. Yeah, good memory. So my question is, what made you kind of steer away from that and go into a different field for your master's and then your PhD? Yeah, great question. I uh, I realized med school wasn't going to be challenging enough. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> now, you know, I, I think it's one of those things that I got, I got to this literally uh, like the month before my senior year was going to start in college when I had finished uh, internships in a variety of different ways. Um, I had been in physical therapy, OT, and uh, orthopedic surgery and shadowing uh, a surgeon who was a friend of mine. Uh, and it was absolute phenomenal. I loved it. I was fascinated by it. But at the end of the day, I stopped and I thought to myself, oh my God, do I really want to go through med school? You know, it, it's interesting to me from an intellectual level, but I didn't necessarily picture myself being a doctor. And Ooh. I went into that uh, midlife crisis at 21. <laughs> I didn't have it at 45. I had it, you know, <laughs> 21. And I thought, oh my God, what am I going to do? And it was funny because I had great mentors at my college. They were wow. phenomenal in helping me evaluate the experiences I had. I had been an RA. I was serving as sort of like a, a programming hall coordinator. Um, I had been an admissions tour guide and parapanel speaker. You know, okay, I just been involved. involved in the, it, Mr. Involved. I know. When you're Mr. I told involved. you I was. A, I told you I was a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you know, Jeff. I think those things really were pivotal, and I didn't see it in myself at the time. I didn't have that confidence in myself and my mentors helped point it out to me and said, you know, there are pathways that are absolutely ideal for somebody with your background and your, your commitment. Um, and they helped me get into, uh, you know, a master's program that dealt with um, student development and counseling. Uh, and that was my <laughs> transition wow. away from medicine and, and into the school. Wow. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. I just was curious. And at first I was just going, I wasn't going to ask you. And then I got a chance and I was like, uh-uh, I'm asking. So thank you for sharing. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot, listen, there's a lot of students who feel like, oh my God, I need to know what I'm going to do when I get, after I get my bachelor's degree or, you know, they think some people have it all figured out. But I mean, there's individuals that I know who are colleagues of mine and we're still trying to figure it out. You know, oh, it's gosh. not uh, everybody, you know, knows exactly what they want to do. And you're still a doctor, you know, you're just a doctor in more of the learning center. Fashion. you're a PhD. Yeah. You know, you still got a PhD. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I say this tongue in cheek, but I, I do in a part mean it very sincerely, you know, because I have these conversations even with, you know, some of my student employees, you know, when they're uncertain about their future paths, you know, I, and I jokingly will say to them that, you know, that's okay. That's normal. And hell, I haven't figured out what I'm going to do when I grow up. <laughs> you know, I think by that, I mean, you know, I, I want to be flexible and have choices. Um, yeah. I'm not scripted into one particular thing for the rest of my life. Absolutely. And I think that's the evolving. Yeah, that's right. I, that's the message I want them to walk away with. They'll figure it out. They've got good heads on their shoulders, you know, and, and by having mentors and sounding boards that they can rely on, you know, whether it's learning center professionals or other people they encounter in their life, youth ministers, pastors, you know, whoever. Yeah. Those are the kinds of relationships that help us become who we are, not just be what we are in the moment, but who we're mm -hmm. becoming throughout mm -hmm. our lives. Mm -hmm. I love it. I'm sorry, Paul. <laughs> no, you're good. It's a good transition because speaking of becoming, last <laughs> fall you became the president of NCLCA. Uh, right? Look at that. Transition. I did. Right into, uh, into the 2020 year. So you started in fall, but then pretty soon after, COVID-19 came along and 
not only is your university pivoting, but NCLC has to pivot as well. Yeah. You know, they have events that they're planning out into the future um, that we're having to rethink all kinds of stuff. So how has the transition been for you as a member of NCLCA? And with things like the conference, conferences being moved or canceled, how are you making sure that our members stay connected and um, can continue to access all of our resources? Yeah, no, that's definitely <laughs> been an, uh, on the forefront of my mind uh, throughout this year. Um, I, you know, I, I don't know that anybody who becomes the president uh, of an organization like this fully knows what's going to happen. Going. <laughs> yeah. No, no. I think you almost have to go through it once before you recognize, oh, so that's how you do it. Um, and by that time, you're already out of the position. You're already out. We need two-year terms. I hear a vote. <laughs> exactly. You know, and I think uh, that, that's one of the benefits of, you know, hindsight. Sometimes it's unfair, but, you know, then we can reflect on it and say, oh, you know, if I had the chance to do it differently, you know, I would do this. And, you know, I think, uh, you know, just to throw a shout out to my colleague and dear friend, Mike Frizzell, who's uh, our incoming vice president, he's going through this again. He's already been VP, Prez, past Prez. He's our uh, liaison uh, and chairperson for the past president's council. And he's the editor for TLAR. He has done just about every role that you can possibly imagine. Really? And he's going through it again, <laughs> willingly. <laughs> so, oh my gosh. That being said, you know, in, in, in all seriousness, um, you know, I think, one of the things that's been important for me is to recognize that we had been in a place where we had to spend a lot of time cleaning some stuff up with bylaws and other boring things, but things that make a difference in the organizational health uh, of NCLCA, making sure that our finances were in order. Um, we just got done finishing a major audit. Uh, it was the first time we had done it in a number of years, and we wanted to make sure that we had established a firm process uh, for ourselves and for the financial health of our membership because this isn't about us as individuals. This is about the collective. We are representative stewards of your good faith and we wanna make sure that we're putting our best foot forward in your interests. You know, and so we were taking a look, um, particularly as I came on board um, as president of, you know, what are the opportunities that we have before us now? Um, you know, one of which was beginning to have some conversations about professional development and what that was going to look like, uh, you know, in, in the near future. One of which is, you know, this whole idea of a podcast series. Yeah. Another, yeah, another is, um, you know, working with our vendors. Uh, I often call them partners, you know, because they um, do a phenomenal job of supporting us throughout our careers. And it's not just about that one, two, three days, you know, at the conference that you get to hobnob with them. We're talking about investments and, and relationships, you know, with these individuals. And I think those were critical for our success as we were becoming who we were in serving you know a broad representation of learning center professionals and i wanted to see it grow even further and so we've um, developed some new opportunities for them to be able to market their services through tlar through our website uh through the newsletter and now mm -hmm. hosting specific um webinars, uh, webinars and demonstrations demos to be able to showcase what they do what their tools are like to help serve the learning center community and i think you know, that was, uh, you know, definitely uh, a major goal of mine is to figure out, you know, how could we do that in a seamless way? And we've already begun to offer those. They've been well received and well attended by our membership. And we're excited that we can continue to see that partnership grow. Um, mm -hmm. We're also having um, ongoing conversations with Jade, the Japanese Association for Developmental Education. They have been uh, phenomenal partners 
in beginning to take a look at what can we do to broaden the scope from the United States to other countries. And we've already had members attend from other countries, but we've never had an established partnership with an international organization. And this is our first foray into that. We finalized a memorandum of understanding recently, and we are working with Jade to help um, convert our LCLC, uh, Learning Center Leadership Certification uh, mm -hmm. applications into Japanese. And we're gonna train a number of their professional staff on how to go through that process and then serve as a kind of satellite group uh, to be able to award certifications on behalf of NCLCA. And so wow. I'm really, really excited you know, about this new opportunity um, to expand beyond this, uh, just the, you know, the, the borders of the United States. That's, that's really fantastic stuff. So those are just a couple of quick examples of, of things that we're doing right now to um, serve our members. Um, that you know, M3 meetings, uh, the monthly membership meetings, those mm -hmm. were um, in response to a suggestion from one of our members. She said, you know, hey, I want to know what other people are doing to deal with COVID-19 and yeah. how they're adjusting. And so we yep. held weekly meetings, and now those have morphed into ongoing, semi-permanent uh, monthly meetings. And they're well attended, and people have different questions that they're all dealing with, but all of yeah. the same nature. We care about our services and the impact that we're having on student success. How are you doing it? What can I learn from you that might be a, you know, something we could adapt to our campus? Yeah. And, you know, this is one of them times where we can, oh, this, we can look up this university because they've done this. We can schedule these. Um, what do we do? We do benchmarking is what we do. Let's benchmark exactly. y'all to see like what are other, no, everybody got hit with this at the same time. So we're all on the same page. So what y'all doing, what we doing, this is what's going on. These are the programs that we're using. This is what's working. This is what's not, you know, this is what's next. So it's, it is a lot. And I love the fact that we have something in place for our members so they can talk about it. So they can have a safe space to share ideas. I think that's phenomenal. And it leads right into how can people um, join NCLCA? Oh, easy. All they have to do is go to our website and there is a section for how to become a member. Yeah. Um, and they simply um, pay their dues on an annual basis. They can either pay as an individual or if their institution has the resources, they can pay that membership for them. Uh, so we've got you know, both types that you know, happen uh, in the United States. Um, and, you know, I think that's one of the, the blessings that um, we're able to offer our professionals. You know, it's not just about connecting at a conference, but we've got other measures in place to help support them throughout their time, you know, working in higher education. So in addition to the M3 meetings that we have, the webinars that we have, the annual conference that we have, we have a discussion forum on our website in the members only section. And that's been utilized uh, more recently uh, particularly in the advent of COVID-19, yeah. be able to generate some thoughts and some questions, say, oh my God, how do I do this? I've never yeah. done this before. And it's a great way to hear from other professionals around the country of how they've made the adjustments uh, to their services uh, or their facilities in order to you know, serve students better. Thank you. And, uh, you know, moving away from all of the heavy, the transitions and all of these big questions just kind of following up with Patricia what are like your hobbies your interests we talked a bit about Star Wars and oh, a yeah. personal question on my end I'm a self-proclaimed sci-fi nerd <laughs> so this is just for me this is literally a question for me how do you feel about the Star Wars, Star Trek debate. Oh. Do you feel that there is a contrast? Can you love them both? See, 
I'm going to be an outlier. I do love them both. God, and I like them equal. I don't understand why people get into this rage about, oh, this one, you know, no, no. I, you know, I like them both equally, but for different reasons. Um, you know, I grew up with both. And so it's been a part of the lore right, and the right. fascination with what's beyond. And, you know, not to just play off the title from Star Trek, but, you know, what is out there? You know, are, are we alone in this? It would be, I think, uh, arrogant to think that in all the cosmos, we're the only sentient life that exists. God, I hope not. That'd be awfully boring. What did, uh, what did, uh, what did uh, Jodie Foster say in contact? That'd be an awful waste of space. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm a sci-fi nerd. Uh, I'm an avid reader. Um, you know, I, I'm not a big gamer, but uh, there are games I play on my iPad. Um, and I love wine. Uh, I am a... Uh, Huge, I, I would, don't call me a connoisseur because that's I not- I was literally about to say no, it. No, 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 I'm no. glad you, I'm glad you <laughs> said that. No, I, I'm, I'm, as my sensei would say, I, I, I'm a beginner, I'm a learner. Uh, I really enjoy um, doing that. It's been a hobby of mine. I had a passion for about almost 30 years now. And um, aside from that, I'm a big outdoors guy. Um, I don't get to it as often as I used to when I was younger, just with family obligations. But I love hiking and I love backpacking. I do not do glamping. It's against my religion. Uh, <laughs> I, I want to be in the wilderness, like topo maps, and I don't want to hear any traffic. Nobody's, nothing, you know, no, yes. no airplanes. No, yes. <laughs> Phone died dead. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's gone. No, exactly. I'm with you. Um, so we've had a, I've had a great time. Kelsey's had a great time. Jeff, you seem like you've had a great time. Thank you for being with us. And we, we want to know how, how can we keep up with your center on social media? Oh, that's a yeah, great question. Um, so we have a couple of things that folks can do if they want to follow us. We have a Facebook uh, page for reach resources okay. for academic achievement. We also have an Instagram account, U of L or U, yeah, U of L uh, reach. So you can join that way. Uh, and you can even follow us just on our website. So those are the main mechanisms. We have a YouTube page, but we're trying to grow that right now. So <laughs> come back in another year or so. We'll have more. I love Instagram. I love Instagram. So thank yeah. you again, Jeff, for being on the show. Um, you're great. You are awesome. And I think that your center is doing some awesome things. And before I leave today, um, question. Is it, what do you do when people call it Louisville and not Louisville? I ignore them. <laughs> oh, I'm glad I looked. We looked it up. I wanted to make sure oh, yeah. he was pronouncing it right, and we did a good job. Well, yes. you know, I had to tell you to uh, to confess my sins here. Um, so I, I was in an airport, I don't know, a couple of years ago when I was flying back from a conference. It was probably NCLCA, and uh, the the attendant at the counter that was making sure I was getting on the right flight said, "Are you going to Louisville?" And I said, "No." Oh, she looked at me. Yeah. I said, I'm going to Louisville. You ain't right. She looked at me like I was crazy. <laughs> so, but yeah, shout out to my hometown community here. Yeah, I got to pronounce it correctly. You know, you can pronounce it Louisville. You can pronounce it Louisville. But there is no Louisville. <laughs> no Louisville. Well, That's I want right. to say thank you so much again, Jeff, for being on the show. You are a pleasure. Um, and up next, Kelsey. What about this information about our NCLCA affiliate? All right, so this summer, we are welcoming a new NCLCA affiliate, the Texas College Learning Center Association. So here's a statement from our newest affiliate, giving a little information about who they are and overcoming their first hurdle as an affiliate. So from Texas, 
Texas has a newly formed state affiliate, the Texas Affiliate of the National College Learning Center Association, or TXNCLCA, is now official after overcoming our first obstacle, naming the organization. It took more than six months to be recognized by the state and have our nonprofit status approved, but the organization pulled through with help from our constituents who voted on the alternative name. Originally, the organization was to be named the Texas College Learning Center Association, following trend. However, there is a Texas college in Tyler, Texas, and they did not want them to use Texas College in the name so that there could be a little more distinction. The organization reached out to potential members and asked them to vote on another name. Currently, the TXNCLCA website is being developed to offer several key resources for professionals in our field and to allow us to accept memberships. Soon, board members will be holding elections to vote in the next cycle of officers. I believe that has taken place. And we appreciate everyone's patience and continued enthusiasm as we work to get this organization going. So welcome, TXNCLCA, to the NCLCA Affiliates family. Yeah, that's great. And if you are listening and you are interested in starting an NCLCA affiliate in your area, it can be your state, it can be your region, it doesn't have to be just one or the other, but if you are interested, please visit nclca.org affiliates for more information and find out how to get started. And of course, we're gonna conclude with our announcements. Do not miss our next webinars on July the 8th. Partner webinar with innovative educators, how to quickly build an online academic support center using student lingo with facilitator Lori L. Hazard from Bryant University. On July the 10th, the court shack model. Did I say that right? You Jen? did. Yes! It's a multidisciplinary approach with facilitator Julie Lopacher from the University of Southern California. And NCLCA is pleased to be a founding participant of the Council of Learning Assistance and Development Education Associations. Looking to certify your center? Well, visit our website at nclca.org events for more info. And thank you for turning in to NCLCA today. And thank you, Dr. Jeffrey Bailey, for being with us today. That was my pleasure. Your... Thank you both so much. <laughs> I am your host, Patricia Hartley. And I am your host, Kelsey Bichelle. Do not forget to visit nclca.org for more information and to participate in our forums, webinars, and to listen to our podcasts on Anchor. And that concludes our NCLCA Today episode number one. Thank you. Woo! <laughs>